Good morning, everyone. I do have a question for you this morning. How many here, (laughs) how many here ever forgot to set their clock forward when it goes forward? Raise raise your hand. Okay. Some of you are supposed to have been here last week. (laughs) Yeah, uh, my daughter Shannon reminded me that when they were little, we arrived one morning and no one was there yet. We were an hour early, and so guess what? They got donuts before church, uh, I guess fitting for. And I'll have a, a, a little different question for the 1030 service. My question for them will be, how many of you think you're here at 845? <laughs> oh, it's good to see you this morning. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, why you would ask me to preach, I don't know. But you might want to examine Aaron just a little bit, but uh, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I, I can't say that there's been many times that I ever turned the opportunity down uh, to preach. It's a humbling This is a holy place. This is holy ground. And the reason is, it's not because this is any different than the wood across the street or in another town or the metals any different. But anytime somebody stands and proclaims God's word to God's people and to those that want to hear a blessing, and standing in, in a sense, in the stead of God, that's a holy moment. And we don't take that lightly here at Chester. Years ago, I started using a little three-line phrase when talking to someone individually about committing their life to Christ or becoming a Christian. After spending time with this person and talking about their need to give their life to Christ and and looking at important scriptures, I would close that time by asking three questions. I'd say, okay, now I want to ask you three questions. The first question was, after talking today, should you become a Christian? And Never did I get anything but yes, immediately. The second question then would be, okay, now that you've answered that, could you become a Christian today? Usually there was a short pause, and I always, again, got a yes. Then I'd say, okay, this brings me to my last question to you. Would you become a Christian today? The pause here would always be longer, usually. But eventually the reply would be yes. And in all the years I've used this, there was only one person an older man down in Eden, North Carolina, and I was preaching a revival there, and we'd gone to see him, and 
after talking, I went through the three questions, and he looked at me and he shook his head, and he said, no, am I doing... That was my job as a football referee. I did the timeouts. Okay. Are we back? Okay. All right. Uh, a number of years ago, I lived a couple of houses away from a guy by the name of Hal Mosier. He's now a retired captain from the Chesterfield Police Department. I was part of a neighborhood men's Bible study that he led. And one night, the title of his study was, What Are You Going to Do With the Dash? Well, the, the lesson had to do with that little short line between the date of birth and the date of death. And I wish I'd have been able to find a, a way uh, to have gotten this on the screen, but I'm not very, I, I'm technologically challenged, let's put it that way. But I found a tombstone, a picture of a tombstone. I didn't actually find the stone. Uh, William H. Hahn, Jr. And it has 1905, and then there's the dash, and then there's 1980. And at the bottom it said, I told you I was sick. <laughs> I would like you to see the visual of that. But even though the dash is a very small part of the whole contains your entire life, beginning to end. Very important things are contained in that. And what are the important things in your life? Well, God, family, country. Mm, could we say iPhone, Bluetooth, email, texting, Twitter, email, YouTube, and we could go on and on. I went online a, a number of weeks ago. My wife saw a video, maybe some of you have seen this, of a man, he, I don't think he was a Christian, but he was talking to a, a forum of people about what this age does to our kids with electronic stuff and the actual changes in brain waves. Something for you to think about. I, I, I don't have that. This was not a real part of, of this message, but something to think about, about how important those things are to our kids. When a three-year-old screams, when you take the iPhone away from them, there's maybe a problem. So here's what I would leave you with in one sentence today. God wants your life, your whole life, given and lived for Him. Will you pray with me as we commit this time? Heavenly Father, we'd ask that you'd use the things that 
we'll look at today, the things we'll say, the scriptures that we'll go over, and that, Father, your Holy Spirit might speak to our hearts. Your presence, Father, here and your Son, Jesus Christ, with us today as we honor and glorify your name during this time. Father, as we laugh together and as we cry together, the whole range of emotions that you bring to a person's life, that today this time would be committed to you, and not only would you speak to us, but that we would respond back to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to focus on the three extremely important things in the world for us to consider today. And they're really very simple, nothing that you probably haven't heard before. The first thing that I want you to consider is God the Father. Genesis 1.1, and for scriptures today, uh, you're, we'll be using in John and in the book of Romans, and so we'll flip-flop back and forth between those two books if you have your Bibles or have it uh, in your phone online. Genesis, and we're not looking up Genesis 1-1 because most everybody's familiar with that. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, that was written by Moses about 4,500 years ago, and for the thousands of years, four thousands of years, godly men, women, and children down through the ages have put their faith in this deity, the creator of the heavens and the earth. As a small boy, I grew up in a rural area north of Pittsburgh, uh, outside of a town uh, called Newcastle in Lawrence County in farming country. And, of course, there were not a lot of lights out there. And I can remember times going out with my dad. And we'd look up into the sky, and he'd point out the North Star and the Big Dipper, uh, the Little Dipper. And my favorite is Orion the Hunter, because you can always find Orion, especially in the winter. There's three stars for his belt, and then there's stars for his shoulders and kind of for his legs. And uh, my wife asked me one time, well, where, where is his head? And I said, well, he doesn't have one. She said, just like a man. <laughs> I'll get to surprise her with that one at the next service when she's here. Uh, and on an especially clear night, you could actually see what's called the Milky Way. We don't get to appreciate it in where the, there are so many lights in, in suburban areas like where we live. But, uh, have you ever tried to count them? You know, as a kid, I think all kids probably try to count the stars. Christian author and apologist Norman Geisler wrote in, in one of his books, that in our galaxy, there are over 100 billion stars with an average distance between any two of 30 trillion miles. Here those figures again. Over 100 billion stars in our galaxy, and we're just one of billions of galaxies. If you were to take a trip on the space shuttle, traveling 17,000 miles an hour, do you know how long it would take you to reach the average distance 
between just two stars in our galaxy, it would take you over 200,000 years. In 1916, Albert Einstein discovered that the universe was not eternal, but had a beginning. And this troubled him because he didn't want to think of what this truth meant if there's a beginning, then there has to be a beginner. If there's an effect, there has to be a cause to that effect. He didn't want to go there. In 1919, Arthur Eddington An Englishman confirmed Einstein's discovery, which dispelled the previous years of belief that the universe was actually eternal. In the 1920s, Carl Hubble, uh, the Hubble Space Telescope named after him, confirmed that the universe was expanding, which also meant there had to be a beginning to it. In 1965, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson discovered a radiation afterglow, which science declares was the result of the beginning of our universe. So, what's the significance of this? Well, science called that beginning the Big Bang. But that brings us to a very important question. What caused the Big Bang? Evolutionists and atheists say, I don't know. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? We say, God did. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I didn't come up with these statistics. I found one of the things I like to do when my wife goes to the thrift store to look for, for kids' clothes I go to the book section and look for certain authors, and I found this book. The title really caught my attention. The title is, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. (laughs) So, I I took it home. Brand new book. Nobody had ever read it before. Uh, Paid $3 for it, and it has a wealth of knowledge in an easily written form. Next time you go to the thrift store, check out the the book section. I highly recommend this by Norman Geisler and and Frank Turek. The writers of Scripture knew hundreds of years ago what scientists have scratched their heads about and have said, well, the alternative is... Something had to have created what we have here because there was a beginning. And even those that describe themselves as atheists or evolutionists have to say, we can't explain it by saying, we don't know. Listen to what David said, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, 
and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And we've seen just a little tiny glimpse of that uh, in talking about the stars and space travel. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, Paul, in his presenting our response back to God, says this in, in chapter 1 of Romans, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God, listen to that language, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. All we have to do is look around us. How do we explain this and the complexity? They used to think that the, the smallest thing in the world was the single cell. And then someone invented the electron microscope where they could look into that single cell and multiply it a thousand times, and they saw the complexity of the single cell. That's another problem for the atheist who says, I don't know how this got here. So that's God the Father. The second thing we need to consider is Jesus, the Son of Man. That phrase is used, depending on what translation you look up, approximately 187 times in the Scriptures. Uh, 94 times the book of Ezekiel uses it. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. It, I guess that never jumped out at me. Uh, it was Jesus' favorite name for Himself. He referred to Himself as the Son of Man. Maybe because Ezekiel was His favorite book, I don't know. The Gospels, it's used 77 times in the Gospels. It's been said, and I believe it, that you see the face of God through Jesus. Or that He is God with a human face. John chapter 14, we'll look here in John just a little bit. John chapter 14, Jesus talking with His disciples before He's about to embark on that road that will lead to His death, is sharing one last time with them where He talks in depth. And he tells them that he's going to have to go away. And where he goes, they can't come. And Philip asks him a question in verse 9 or verse 8. And Jesus answers him in verse 9 saying, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And then if we go back to the first chapter of John, 
verse 1 with language that really sounds kind of like Genesis 1-1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know by going back, it says, God said, let us make man in our own image. That's a plural right there. And then it talks about the Spirit of God moving on the face of the waters. And so you have the Holy, the, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there in the first chapter of Genesis. And as John begins his description of the birth story, down in verse 14, he says, and the Word, be described in verse 1, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one can read the New Testament accounts about Jesus and say that He was anything other than full of grace and truth. It's hard for us to imagine God with our mind's eye because He doesn't have a dwelling place except in our hearts or a physical body because the Scripture says that God is a spirit. Jesus spoke very strongly about His relationship with God the Father. Hebrews 12 tells us that He endured the cross with joy. That's always kind of puzzled me because He was a human. Do you ever wonder about that? He wasn't thinking about the pain, the torment, or the separation from God, but he knew that his earthly work was completed. The price was paid. It is finished. He knew he would be completely back with the Father, his Father. And we also can relate to Jesus, not because he was completely God, though he is, but because he's completely human, he got hungry, he got tired, he got angry. Remember, it was righteous anger. He got excited, he got busy. But the difference is, he never got even. Boy, isn't that a human characteristic that when we're wronged, especially when we're immature, we want to lash out, and what was it? We won't go into the Sermon on the Mount, but go back and and look at that and read the mind of Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 24 says this about Jesus, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ 
Jesus. That's the man, the God-man, Jesus, that we should consider. And the third thing for us to consider is the Holy Spirit. The third part of the Godhead is the Holy Spirit. This person's also known in Scripture as the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate. It's, I, I even hate to make this analogy, but it's a bit like a lawyer <laughs> in a good sense because that lawyer comes beside you to plead your case for you or to help you. It, it's the Greek word parakleton, which means one who is called alongside to strengthen or to help. The Holy Spirit's kind of nebulous because, again, the Holy Spirit doesn't have a body. We're, we're able to focus on Jesus because Jesus had a body, and we know what bodies look like, arms and legs and face and hair, voice that speaks, emotions that are given out. But the Holy Spirit kind of like God is, is something that we can't physically see. Look at some of the Scriptures that enlighten us on this. John chapter 14, again in that same period where Jesus was talking with the disciples in the upper room. John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. It's the word, the Greek word parakleton here. To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. And then Romans chapter 5 and verse number 5 where Paul talks about the Spirit in our life. Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And then in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 38 Peter talking to a crowd there, 50 days after Jesus was, after he ascended to heaven. Well, I'm sorry, it wasn't 50 days. 50 days after his resurrection, this occurred. He's preaching to a group of people at the temple area. And as he preaches about Christ and how Jesus was killed and crucified just a few days earlier, fresh in their minds, and how he was raised from the dead and taken from them, they cried out, well, what should we do? And this is what Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same is true today. He doesn't leave us 
helpless, but he sent the helper to lead and to guide us. Well, what does all this have to do with the title of this sermon, which is, should you, could you, would you? Whether you're an engineer, a student, a soldier, a stay-at-home mom, or any of hundreds of honorable, fulfilling jobs, or you're a missionary, a youth minister, a preacher, or any number of full-time Christian positions, your motivations should be this, the same for all of us. It should be to grow in your faith and share God's message to the world every day, not just on Sunday during worship hour led by professionals. It should be to ask whether you sit in the seats or preach to the seats. You should ask, Lord, what would you have me to do? George McLoy, the Scottish theologian who died in 1991 at the age of 96, said this, Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves, on the town garbage heap at a crossroads so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew and in Latin and in Greek at the kind of place where cynics talk smut, thieves curse, and soldiers gamble, because that is where he died. That is what his death is about. The cross must be raised again, not just on the steeple of the church, but at the center of the marketplace as well. And here's our last scripture today. It's in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Romans chapter 12 is such a great chapter, but so is chapter 8, and so is chapter 6, and so is chapter 3, but we're here at chapter 12. A few verses preceding verse 12, he gives some practical application for how a Christian ought to act. We're not going to go into all of those, but I just pull these three out. Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in hope. Hear it again, rejoice in hope. Remember the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation? Righteousness wins in the end. The second thing he says in Romans 12, 12, be patient in tribulation. If you haven't had tribulation in your life, just wait. It's coming. It doesn't take too many years into your life for things to happen and not always pleasant things. But remember this, this too shall pass, whatever it is. And the last thing he says in this verse is to be constant in prayer. You know, you have no better friend than when you have the ear of God. Uh, some of you may have heard the preacher, uh, I, he still comes on the radio, actually WRVA, 1140, 
He's been on it for years, early, early, early on Sunday morning. I've heard him speak any number of times. His name is Ed Bowsman, old-style preacher. He used to say on his broadcast, God is just a prayer way. And there's a song that they sing with an old-fashioned song. Should you? Answers yes, isn't it? Could you? Uh, yes. The real question is, would you? Let's pray. Father, your scripture is such a comfort to us. And not only the scripture, but when you've placed it in the hearts of men and women and children, and it becomes alive, we'd ask, Father, that as you speak to us today through your word, that you would motivate us to action. Because the scriptures teach us that we are to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. We've heard today, help us to do and to respond as the Spirit speaks to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we come to the close of this time, we have those that are on our prayer team. I'm going to ask them, you know, those that are here, come up one, one side or the other, or maybe be in the back. You may have a response today where you need to share what's going on in your life and ask for prayers. And you can come and do that as we stand and sing in just a moment. You may have the need to give your heart and life to Christ that You've been moved before, but you've resisted. It wasn't the right time. You said things like I've heard people say. And as I said at one time, well, when I get my life straight, that won't happen. It won't happen until you give your life to him. And we'd invite you to do that today also. Put your faith and trust in him. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Repent and turn from your sins. Be baptized as Peter told the crowd on the day of Pentecost. All that can happen today. I'll ask the team to lead us as we stand together as we sing.